You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. We talk about extremes and the ability to adapt to such a harsh environment. The Arctic fox is just hardy and it's survival. What can they teach us? Capillaries in their feet vasodilate, so there's less blood flow, but enough to keep the tissues above the freezing point so their feet won't freeze. This is an amazing adaptation. I was like, Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And I'm talking to you from like the other end of the planet, Angie. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. And you sound fantastic. Yes, yes. So I am down in New Zealand. I made it back, like I promised. Chris, that is awesome. I'm so excited for you. I'm excited for our fans in New Zealand and a a lot of them in Australia. So you'll have to hit the ground running and inspire more local conservation heroes there. Yeah, it's it's been, you know, just briefly, because I mentioned this a few pods ago that I was trying to get in. I, I did get in. I've been trying for months and months with, to get to my family down here. And it's just the borders right now with COVID, extremely tight, extremely difficult to get into New Zealand. So I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky to be back down here. And, you know, I'm going to be down here indefinitely. So we'll see what, what 2021 brings, you know, with everything that's going on around the planet. You know, and as we record this, great news on the vaccine front. So, you know, yeah, as as blessed as I feel being here in a pretty much COVID-free environment, I mean, still a lot of precautions going on. You know, people, some people wearing masks, track and trace, all that fun stuff that everybody. Well, and you had a quarantine for 14 days. I was. I did my two weeks in a hotel. (laughs) We actually recorded Muskox while I was there. I I didn't want to talk about it then because it was okay, but... um, you know, I, I did do my two weeks in quarantine, did my COVID testing, and then they released me out into the wilds of New Zealand. So so I'm down here. I'm ecstatic to be back. And I uh, just want to let people know. So I'm, I'm waving to you from the other side of the planet, Angie. And we have an amazing species today that I'm so far from. But you're closer. <laughs> yeah, you are very far. I'm definitely closer than you. Uh, but yes, the Arctic fox, another 
winter hardy because here in the northern hemisphere it's our winter time and uh, a lot of places are starting to get snow there was a nor'easter uh, to my family and friends in new england sorry about that guys uh lots of snow coming down uh, and we're approaching what is our shortest day of the year so uh we're still it keeps getting darker earlier and it just it feels like winter time but the holidays are among us and I think we picked a really fun creature to do. I know I enjoyed dorking out, uh, watching videos about Arctic foxes, mm-hmm. learning about their foxes. Just their physiology is incredible. I mean, I, I don't. Oh, yeah. When yeah. we talk about extremes and the ability to adapt to such a harsh environment, the Arctic fox is just hardy and its survival skills in the frigid Arctic is incredible. Minus 58 degrees Fahrenheit, it can survive. That's insane. It's so we're, yeah, I really, yeah, yeah I, I have a lot of slides on how they're able to do this and still look so darn cute while they do it. Oh, it's, it was a lot of fun because they, there is a lot of adaptations and the last Fox we did, if you can remember, you think you remember the last Fox we did? Well, Chris, I must say at first I couldn't remember. I was like, I feel like we've had to have done a Fox before because I love Fox and they're just so fun. Uh, but it took me a while, and then I, I did have to go back and look at uh, some of my old notes and <laughs> the mom <Yes>. brain, <laughs> hashtag mom brain. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And I realized that we covered the Finnick Fox. I don't know what episode mm-hmm. is that for our listeners. It was episode 106. And then if you do, if you Google All Creatures Podcast Fox, and then there's another one, episode 16. It's not a fox, but it is up in the air, if you remember that one. And it, uh, you know... It, it was the largest flying fox. Yes. yes I love your yes. charades <laughs> across the world. He's giving problems out there. He's doing his arm movements. Wait, so. <laughs> Usually yeah, our charades do don't like... go so well, but this one, this is a win for us. <laughs> the moose. I remember doing the moose. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we did. We did do Fennec Fox. And so really two extremes, you know, from one of the, the hottest, driest parts of the planet where a fox is thriving to now one of the coldest parts of the planet where foxes are thriving. So very hardy species. And I didn't know this. This is the only mammal native to Iceland. The only one. I did not know that either. That's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. Iceland needs to be on all of our bucket lists, right? For sure. I know. I know. I got to get up there. I got to get up there. For sure. Well, now I'm so far away. I don't know if I'll ever get up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Australia as soon as I can. So Angie... I don't want to break your heart, but last week we, we 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 put up a poll, and I just wanted to throw the results out there. Now on Facebook, you know, we didn't have tons of votes on Facebook. It was a 50-50 split, but on there, it's 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 not a huge victory for me. But sixty percent versus forty percent, sixty percent voted that the muskox baby was cuter than the talking baby. It was close though. They looked Oh, so yeah, I was wondering what the results were and that 40% I probably voted 10 times. I don't know if that's allowed. Oh, cheater. <laughs> well, it kept popping up and so I was like, well, I mean, it keeps asking me. So, uh but yes, no, it was definitely it was hard for me to even push talking over the muskox because they are yeah. I, I almost, it's, it'll be a tie in my book, but those polls are fun and listeners, if you really enjoyed that, reach out to us and we We'd be more than happy to keep doing fun polls like that over this holiday season while we find ourselves scrolling. We might as Mm -hmm. well look at cute animals and vote on that or other fun, insightful polls versus just, I don't know, reading the news, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And I'll be more active now that I'm down in New Zealand on Instagram and, and I have the ability uh, with that. But, you know, before we get rolling, just a quick thank you to Essa and Thomas on Patreon. We became Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. We actually have to go and do a another poll here soon on who we're going to send money to going into the Christmas season. And it's fun because I always get the emails like the Coral Restoration Society. I think we sent money to they a foundation. An yes. A okay. CRF. Mm-hmm. The foundation. Yeah. And then the Red Panda Network sent me an email, how much that helped them. So it's fun to, because when I, I do the donations, I put my email in there and I get updates. So so thank you so much for supporting conservation and supporting us in our mission. And keep in mind too, for this holiday season, a gift that you can give Chris and I that's totally free, takes maybe 30 seconds, is to just rate us on iTunes, drop a few lines telling us how amazing we are. Uh, that really helps our profile on iTunes and all these nature and animal podcasts. And it gives us more exposure to help educate more people for free. So please do that. Uh, the month of December is starting off a little slow. So I look forward as and you can even say this is my gift to Angie. <laughs> if you want, uh, as long as it's a good one. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah. we really appreciate that. And that's, it's, it's, I, I always do it for all my favorite podcasts and things like that. It really does help inspire, uh, the, the people, the hosts that are doing it. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. To keep those coming. And if you can send these episodes to a friend, say, Hey, listen to this podcast. And the more subscribers we get, the, the better we do. We all have an animal lover in our life, right? Uh, everybody knows whenever there's a really cool animal update that comes out. I have like two or three family members that send it to me because they just know that I'm an animal lover. And I'm sure you have one of those in your family as well or a friend. So pass us along. We'd really appreciate it. And then Angie, I know you you, you couldn't join in on this one with, with juggling the kids and all your teaching responsibilities and everything. But I, I have launched another podcast going back to my roots for any of our horse enthusiasts, you know, I have started a, a new 20 minute, it's about 20 minutes each week. So it's, it's quick hitting with Dr. Nicole Rambo, uh, one of my friends back in the United States. And this is focusing more on nutrition and care of the horse. So people can check that out. We just launched last week. So I'll, I'll just drop reminders here and there. But, you know, it's, it's easy, digestible. Ha, uh, nice. <laughs> talk about nice. nutrition. Or palatable. But, yeah, we just recorded an episode on... So, sorry, Palatable. I couldn't help yeah, myself. <laughs> but you know, we did. Uh, we just did. We released the episode on feed allergies. We've got some on soy allergies coming up. Ooh, I'll definitely listen to that one. Concerned. Yes, I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah. Winter tips. So real easy, quick, hitting twenty minutes. So check that out. The Equine Connection podcast. All right, Equine Connection podcast. Let me write that down. Yeah. Type it in and give them once again as one of Chris's. Christmas gifts, yeah. five stars. Tell him he's awesome. Tell him you love him. Oh, and love and he it. is. He's it. definitely the it. horse guru, the horse guy. Uh, so I'm sure it's an awesome podcast, and I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned so much talking to you for three years. Like, just uh, amazing. So it was easy. It was easy to jump right into something small like that. Like, 20 minutes, it goes by so quick. So anyways, Arctic foxes. Mm-hmm. And I have a, an interesting fact. I can't wait till we get to behavior. But just how far does an Arctic fox range? Because they don't have territories. They're nomadic. And there was a a tracking study done, and it'll blow you away. It'll blow you away. It'll blow you away. Well, especially knowing that they're trekking and traveling through some really harsh Arctic tundra biome, especially for nine months out of the year. Of course, in the summertime, 
it mellows out and they do some really fun things with their coat colors. They actually change colors. They go from Arctic foxes that you would think of and visualize as these white fluff balls of love. That's my description this week. Just kidding. I'll do a little bit better. But and then and then in the springtime they blow that white coat and they're brownish gray underneath, and that's the color they are in the summertime. So if you go to Arctic Fox, like Google image and look for pictures of them, you'll see the white fluff cotton balls that we all think of that are just adorable. But you'll also see their summer coats, which are totally different. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I had no idea. So that was a really fun fact for me this week. Oh, yeah. And we'll dive a lot more into their fur and how they use it to survive because it's just incredible. But in general, to describe them, they are so well adapted to living in cold environments. Like I said, they have that thick, warm fur uh, that's used as a camouflage in the snow because they're white in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, when they're this brown-gray color, they camouflage into the rocks and grassy terrain that's more brown-green in color. And similar to most fox species that you think of, they're going to have almost a dog-like face with a short muzzle, whiskers. Their ears are medium to short-sized, triangular, a little bit rounded at the tips. And they, of course, have the iconic large fluffy foxtail. This one is an exception, and they use it big time in the winter, uh, and we'll talk about that. But really unique to the Arctic foxes is they actually have really furry feet. So that they're the only species of fox to have that. And, of course, it makes sense to be able to traverse through the snow. And, of course, all this fur is this just stunning white color to help them blend into the snow in the wintertime. But when the season changes, once again, the fox's coat turns to this brown-gray appearance. And it just does that season to season. And then in the wintertime, the white fur will grow back. And then in the summertime, they shed it and the undercoat is this brown gray color. So just really, really beautiful creature, really unique. Looking through all the different images and watching the videos and scrolling around, it's almost like no no two Arctic foxes look the same, especially in their summer coat with this this brown and, and a lot of uh, and sometimes there are white highlights like the tail still still stay kind of white mm-hmm, they have mm-hmm. white points on their eyes and sometimes under their belly so just a really unique creature and Chris will put up some cool photos on the on yeah, our yeah. show notes to give you uh to give you an idea of what they look like through all the different seasons yeah and they're not that big i mean this is an animal that lives at the edge of existence so we're going to talk a little bit about Bergman's rule when I get to evolution. It's something we've mentioned before. You know, animals in in the in these cold regions tend to be a lot bigger. This is not. This is like I guess one of the exceptions that it, it's only you know two to three and a half feet long, and then the tail is about twelve inches long, and they only weigh up to seventeen pounds or, or six and a half pounds or up to eight kilograms. So. You know, not tall. Again, twelve inches at the at the shoulder, which is about thirty centimeters. So this isn't a very large animal. This is like a medium, small, medium sized dog. You know, if, if you want to put it into something that is living. I mean, I was sitting here thinking, you have polar bears up there as a major predator, and this is it. This is the next predator that's a mammal up there, ranging in the Arctic, which I guess is the next. Is the, is the next thing we're talking about is where they range. And it's in this uh, circumpolar up in the Arctic, 
you know, really edge of existence where in the summer, you know, they're on the coastal regions of North America, Greenland, Europe, and Asia. And then during the winter, they'll actually go out on the ice floes. Mm-hmm. And that white coat helps them serve as camouflage. And, you know, they're ranging all around the pole, the North Pole. Now, with that being said, Angie, like I said, you have polar bears and now you have Arctic foxes. So this is a really niche predator. I mean, their ecological importance up there that, you know, they're, they're keeping a lot of, we'll talk about their diets, but things like lemmings, that's a big part of their diet, helping keep them in mm-hmm. check. Because, you know, again, nature's in balance, the food webs and the Arctic fox plays a key role where a polar bear is going after much larger meals, much larger prey. The Arctic fox is keeping a lot of, you know, the the smaller animals, birds, things like that in check. Absolutely, Chris. They have this really important role in the ecosystem as they're high up the ladder And being a predator in this region, they're really, really important. And there's all these really cool studies about the cycles of their prey, the amount of prey that's in the area versus the amount of predators or Arctic foxes and how that fluctuates season to season and balancing it all out, right? And it's just really important to remember that if you take one of these key predators away, that's not a great thing for all the prey species. They become there becomes way too many of them. They end up succumbing to diseases and things like that. And then it throws everything else down the pyramid off as far as the grasses and shrubs and moss that the lemmings eat and things like that. And then Chris kind of dorked out last week a little bit about uh, microorganisms and how you don't want to yeah, throw yeah. that off. And so, and to even expand further on this point is in 2009, the Arctic fox was listed as one of the 10 flagship species as indicators of ongoing climate change impacts. Oh, wow. 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 I didn't see that. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, Chris, and it just goes to show the Arctic fox, good news, is not endangered right now. In general, the populations are considered least concerned by the IUCN. There are some populations I'll talk about in Sweden and Norway, I believe, that are critically endangered. They're actually extinct from Finland. So there's places where they're not doing so well, and we want to turn our attention to that. But the worldwide population in general is doing pretty well. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to keep an eye on them because how they're faring with climate change, once again, is a flagship or a really strong indicator of what's happening down the ecological pyramid to the predators and to all the plant species and microorganisms and so on. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. That's interesting though. Yeah. It makes sense because like it, you know, they have such a niche. I mean, it's just such a thing that they've carved out uh, on that, that part of the world. And like we said, it's, the last few weeks or anytime we, we've been covering Arctic species, been talking a lot about the poles and how ice was melting. Talked about it with muskox last week and the week before. So this is something Pip and I have really been diving into. So I'm going to take a different direction. I'm going to bring some good stuff this week where it's not gloom Yay, and doom. Yay. No, we, we, we need that for the holiday season. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no, Warm and fuzzy. Well, we try Warm not to and be- fuzzy, please. 
Yes, yes, yes. We, you know, we we have this conservation optimism where we're going to reverse these trends, and there's a lot of good stuff going around the planet. But for going into the holidays and and where we are this year in 2020, I thought this is something that that people could 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 listen to and and take it to heart because you know Pip and I we we always go out in nature. We talk a lot about it to our friends and and in her business. And basically, I had this article go across my newsfeed this week and I was like, oh, this, this is my jam, you know, and it, it, the title was Biological Diversity Evokes Happiness. And it was the subtitle is more bird species in their vicinity increase life satisfaction of Europeans as much as higher income. So wow. you can be ultra wealthy if you live in a diverse ecosystem, you're actually just as happy. Well, that's so. interesting, Chris, because I've been actually seeing a lot, a lot of bird species lately here in Florida. We have a lot of northern migrants coming down, the Sandhill Crane and several others. And I have just been taking photos of them and videos of their behavior. Zachary and I watched a couple of red-bellied woodpeckers. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And they were just incredible. They were just I, – I mean, I honestly, I watched them, watched them for like 15 minutes. I took some videos and – it's not technically their breeding season, so I think it might have been territorial interactions they were doing. I'm a bird wannabe nerd, so I actually don't necessarily yes, know. Yes. But I was just – it's just so fun, and I feel fulfilled, and I have not gotten any more money. <laughs> I'm, like, actually going down, right? It's the holiday season. We're spending more money. And so yeah, – yeah. But that's really interesting. But it is fulfilling to, to have all this wildlife in my backyard or when we drive – Mm -hmm. We see wild turkeys. We see so many bird species yeah. here in Florida. I just love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, to expand on this a little bit, th this idea, and there have been studies. So there's thing in, in Japan called forest bathing, where people go and sit in these forests, experience nature. And there have been documentable studies that it has measurable health benefits. And so the Europeans are starting to catch on, and probably some researchers in the United States and elsewhere. But scientists from, from the University of Kiel, they examined for the first time whether a diverse nature increases human well-being in Europe. So it was a wide-scale study, and they took the data from a European quality of life study that queried 26,000 adults from 26 European countries. And the way they measured species diversity was based on the diversity of the, the amount of bird species in that part of the, the world. Because we know, we've talked a lot about this, gosh, going back in the North America uh, study where there was a huge drop in bird numbers, we've talked about how birds are such an important biological indicator like the Arctic fox where you can see how well the ecosystem's doing by the amount of birds that you have in the area. So in the survey, they found that Europeans were, were had a much higher satisfa satisfaction rate of their lives when they lived in an area with a high diversity number of species. So they said, according to our findings, the happiest Europeans are those who can experience numerous different bird species in their daily life or who live in a near natural surrounding that are home to many species. So what they're saying is when you 
with higher birds, there's probably going to be other animals that you might see or live around. Right, you know, right, or, yeah. You know, the, from the mammals all the ways down to reptiles, things like that. And I just go back to the stuff Pip and I have read a lot about this past year, and that's on the the, the benefits of spending time in nature. There are a lot of things. There's a lot of bioenergetic studies. There's things like certain trees release certain pheromones or chemical smells that we inhale when you're out there. Like silver birch is the big one. We'd always go and, and see different types of species. And, and they've actually had measurable health benefits. And in Japan, studies have shown that forest bathing has helped people recover from cancer, strokes, depression, anxiety, and stress are the big ones. Oh, yeah. Boost to your immune, yeah, boost to your immune system, aids in sleep. So they actually say British doctors are going to start prescribing mm-hmm. this. Cool. To, to certain patients. What's it called? For, forest yeah. forest so, bathing? Forest That's bathing. my new favorite kind of bathing. No, just... I don't like the normal kind. <laughs> <laughs> my husband can vouch yes. for and all my friends. Uh, but this one I can get behind for sure. And and I always like to show my students when I start an ecology and animal behavior course, this study that sent people camping and checked all sorts of blood values, but mainly like immune cell markers and immune cells. And if they were outside camping for a weekend, they had a boosted immune system for a month after that. And then the researchers, because yep. research is so funny, you answer one question, you ask another. So then the researchers said, well, do you actually have to go camping? And so they took another group and just showed them pictures on a computer of these forests. And even that increased an immune response. Now, it wasn't as drastic wow. and it didn't last hardly as long as when people actually mm-hmm. did some forest bathing while they were camping. But yes, Chris, the scientist in me loves seeing the cell counts go up and things like that um, and, mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the reports of mental well-being. But I know I just feel better when I'm outside. And so maybe it's placebo yeah, effect. Yeah. Who knows? But I just love being outside and I, I love looking at nature. And obviously this pandemic has been so hard for so many people. It's taken a toll Absolutely. on everyone. We all have uh, pan- a pandemic fatigue and all of that. Uh, but boy, there's been a lot of people out there that have been enjoying their backyards, like making little picnic tables for their squirrels and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show that spending a little bit more time in your backyard, whether you're gardening or looking at wildlife or feeding wildlife is really, really rewarding. And it's probably something that a lot of people, even including myself, were taking for granted prior to the pandemic. But I know that I definitely enjoy looking for wildlife, especially birds. There's a pair of eagles at nest where I ride my horse uh, and listening to their sounds and looking for their feathers and things like that. And these are the little simple pleasures in life that, yeah, I wouldn't mind more money, of course, who wouldn't, but uh, I definitely get fulfillment well, the, from the it. The study was saying, yeah, they're, they're measuring like millionaires versus people that spend a lot of time in okay, nature. Okay, gotcha. So they're just as wow. happy. Yeah, you won't make more money going out in nature. <laughs> If not, I'd be out there all day. Somebody pay me, please. Then imagine how happy. You'd be like triple happy. Uh, But no, that's a fun study. Even if you're just. Please. Yes, please put it on the show notes because that's awesome. Yeah, I love it. And go into the holiday season. And and that's perfect. You nailed it on the head. The take home message is is go out in nature. And, you know, I know Angie's area in Florida is beautiful and beautiful walks. And if not, go to a park. Everybody has parks. If you're in the big city, 
I'm thinking of New York City, you know, Central Park. Uh, go there and just bathe in the Absolutely. forest. Absolutely. Check out <laughs> the York Central City. Park I mean, Zoo while beautiful. you're there. There's some red pandas. It's super fun. Oh, yeah, fun. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, there's definitely yeah, – and. Yes, and most big cities, there's a lot of green spaces that you have to maybe seek out, but it's worth it if you do. Yeah, not to rub it in, but I'm in like one of the most green. <laughs> you are definitely in the land of green. <laughs> you show yes, me some pictures of you pictures. being on the bus to quarantine. I'm yeah. like, it's so green there. Yeah. It's so pretty. The rolling know, hills. Know, oh my gosh, it is beautiful here. All right, so let's jump to evolution. You know, we, we've done this, you know, episode 106, Fennec, Fennec Fox, Arctic Fox, same family. It's Canid, Canidae. So this is the dogs. The genus is Vulpes. And the the species name, this one's probably one of the easiest, is Vulpes Lagopus. <laughs> Lagopus. I love that. I love that. And within the genus... These are the foxes. There's there's 12 species of true foxes. 25 are fox-like. So, you know, the Arctic fox and now the fennec fox, those are the two we've covered. Then you have things like the cape fox, the kit fox, uh, swift fox, red fox we'll probably do. Uh, the next fox maybe we do uh, at some point. So, lovely family. So cute because it just reminds us of our dogs, you know. It just does. Well, yeah. Right? For me, pets. it's like... The blend, it's dog and cat-like, right? It has a, a blended... Yeah, a little bit furry. Yeah, furrier, a, blend, yeah. a blended furry. kind of appearance and behaviorally speaking. They Foxes are kind of curious and sneaky like a cat, but they also bark and yowl like a dog. So, yeah, they're, they're, just, they're just so fun. And yeah, I, are, unfortunately, have only seen one in the wild in my life, and it was here in Florida, and it was a red fox. But all my years in Michigan, I never saw mm-hmm. one. All those foxes were outfoxing me, man. Yep. I've just seen tons of coyotes growing up. And another species we'll have to do, another candidate at some point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. And then just quickly, canid evolution, myocids evolved in North America 35 million years ago. Then they moved to Asia, bearing bridge over the sea eight, about 8 million years ago. The 
one thing I talked about in Fennec Foxes was microevolution of, you know, foxes where macro, again, macroevolution covers more than one species. So like very generally, the rise of mammals is macroevolution. Microevolution really covers one species or one genre. So one of the things is, the things we talked about was Allen's rule and Bergman's rule. And so it's interesting with the Arctic fox, say, versus the fennec fox, where in Allen's rule, animals in cold climates have short limbs, smaller extremities to prevent heat loss. And then in warmer climates, they tend to have longer and larger extremities. So even though the fennec fox is tiny, so we want to talk about overall body size, the two ear differences... So maybe we'll do this this week. We'll do which one's cuter in the face, the fennec fox or the Arctic fox. Ooh, that one's I tough. love it. That one's tough. That one's tough. I, I'll probably go fennec, but you know, shout out to Madison at LA Zoo who showed me her fennec foxes uh, last year. You know, so cute. And Bergman's rule was the one where animals in cold climates tend to be bigger, where the idea is larger bodies conserve body heat better. Well, obviously, Arctic fox aren't these huge things. The, the big, they're not the largest foxes out there. No, definitely not. But they're, we're going to get to the fur and stuff later. They're very well adapted for that environment. So, you know, it, it's interesting. The, the Allen's rule, I think, really shows the differences in, in the, the two fox species. And as far as fox evolution specifically, you know, they had that common ancestor in the canids hundreds of thousands of years ago. And they just very much uh, adapted to certain environments where the fennec fox survives the desert and the Arctic fox survives in obviously the polar regions. Just really quick, the closest relative in the fox family to the Arctic fox is the kit fox. So, but again, all those foxes are pretty closely related. So that's their, their natural history. And then Angie, just to tie this all up, there there are four species, subspecies of Arctic fox. So the Bering Islands Arctic fox, the Greenland Arctic fox, Iceland Arctic fox, and the Pribilof Islands Arctic fox. So obviously you have some genetic differences a little bit between those. Well, yes, Chris, a lot of that's based on where they live, right? And really distinct regions within the Arctic tundra. And there's also what's known as distinct color morphs. So in the beginning of the podcast, I described the traditional Arctic fox. It's white and gorgeous, of course, in the wintertime and fluffy. At the beginning of the podcast, I was describing the white morph or the the main Arctic fox that you think of that's white in the wintertime and fluffy and just a doll. And then the white morph will be more like brown gray in the summertime. So the blue morph is often like a darker blue, brown, gray in color. And it's typically that color year round. So, and that's going to be based on a blue allele that can sometimes be dominant over the white allele. So they're very similar. uh, And of course we think of the Arctic Fox, typically the more, the white morph is a little bit more prevalent, Um, but they can have this other coloration pattern too. Yeah. It's really pretty. It's it's, it's really adorable. They're just, they're adorable. They're just, oh. And when it comes to location, this blue morph is going to be more around like coastal regions because it'll blend in with the cliffs and things like that. So 
uh, but yeah, really, really fascinating. I just learned so much about Arctic foxes yeah. this week. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it has to be. Uh, it has to be some adaptation that 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 they've evolved to to make them survive and hunt better. But yeah, I mean, some fun facts about them. Now, on average, they live up to ten years, seven to ten years. Most, I guess, don't last their first year. It's just such a harsh environment up there that was a sad fact yeah, yeah. it's a tough it's the a tough average life. is about three to six years in the wild but a lot are lost earlier on yeah i did read that under human care uh there's one that's lived up to be 16 and a half years oh wow. okay yeah yeah like so, some dogs yeah. yeah some dogs but mm-hmm. yeah the wild i mean especially up there it's just so harsh it's just so Oof, harsh tough yeah. yeah now some of their Physiological characteristics. I mean, the, the small ears, even though they're smaller, I mean, the fennec fox has got those huge radar ears. <laughs> so they're cute. Ears. They're so great. But these ones, they, they they do hear well. And I and I did find a study that talked about all the frequencies they can hear. It, it, it's much better than our hearing. And think about Arctic fox looking for lemmings in the snow, in the ground. So they do have exceptional hearing. And then you throw that in with their smell, Angie. This was pretty amazing. So they have decent hearing. Obviously, good eyesight because they're carnivores. They're very keen sense of smell. And I read they can re- they can smell a carcass. And usually, so it's funny. I was reading that they, they will actually smell for polar bears. And then when they find one, they'll follow them. And just because they hmm. know that they're going to hunt and there'll be a carcass somewhere. But they have been measured to find a carcass left by a polar bear as far as 40 kilometers away and you can mm. think about the wind wow. i mean think about the wind that's just there's so much wind up there but i mean that that chemoreceptor like has got to be so sensitive to be able to detect a carcass from 40 kilometers away i mean it was like 20 miles almost i mean it's yeah well and it it's crazy in addition to that i was reading that with a sense of smell, they can find lemmings, uh, whether they're frozen and dead mm-hmm. or whatever, under 46 to 77 centimeters of snow. That's crazy. And sometimes as deep as 150 centimeters. That's nuts. And for anybody that's spent time in the cold, my nose does not work <laughs> after being out in the cold for one second. It's red and chapped and dripping <laughs> into my mouth. It's, I mean, my goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. It's like... It's incredible. So yeah, they can hear things and smell things under snowpack, which is just it's how they hunt mm-hmm. and 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 like you said, like find carcasses and things like that. So really, really keen adaptations to being able to survive in this harsh environment. Yeah, yeah. And you know, switching to to their haircuts because I know you you want to talk about this a little bit too. It was funny because last week we talked about it with the muskox, and again an adaptation here with the Arctic fox to survive in these harsh environments. Now, I, I, not to jump into behavior, but I know they can burrow up to, I've read 12 feet deep. Like they could really get down to stay warm. Oh yeah, Chris. Well, they need to find dens that are warmer. So like frost free and they have this really complex system of tunneling very deep, as you mentioned. And they'll sometimes use what are called eskers, which are raised rock sedimentary sediment area of the tundra that were formed from glaciers over the millennia. And they'll make these burrows so they have four to eight different entrances so they can get in and out as needed. And researchers have shown that some of these dens, because they're so complex, 
They're used for centuries by generation after generation wow. of foxes. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. But but it's they're so important, as you mentioned, to keep them warm. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. really critical. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, that's what I mean. It's kind of like... so And away from the wind. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the wind. Oh, God. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I lived in the windy city of Chicago for many years, taking care of animals outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Snow joke. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's coming off Lake Michigan. Hence why I'm in sunny Florida. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I needed I needed some recovery. Oh, yes. But you know, it, it's how they survive in this harsh environment. So that's one. Now, physiological adaptations is this thick fur that they have that that there's fur on the pads or around their pads on their feet that help keep them warm. Yes. Fun fact, yeah. the lagopus name. Uh-huh. Actually means rabbit footed. Oh, okay. Because they have more fur on their paws than any other uh, canid species. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, it, I was reading about it because it, it, it's really interesting that, you know, that not only gives them traction, but uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, and you could maybe dork out on the fur next, but is through the feet. Okay. So we know them walking across this packed ice, that is one way they could lose heat, body heat. So like, say we're hot, which, you know, all you in, in the Northern hemisphere now are, are cold and I'm nice and warm down here in the Southern hemisphere, but I know you're like in a t-shirt, <laughs> sun shining. I love it. But you know, like, let's say a hot day, like people like, especially uh, here's, here's some people can relate in hot climates. When you're barefoot, you don't want to stand on carpet. You want to stand on tile, right? You'll go, you'll go stick your feet on tile or in the water because you will lose body heat. You know, when you're hot, your feet is, was a convection? Is that it? it, it you lose body heat through that. So that heat is being drained out of the body. Well, in the Arctic fox, they don't want that. They don't want to lose body heat. They've got to preserve it. No, it's, please stay in my body yeah. heat, please. So one of their amazing adaptations is this counter current exchange. And it's something I talk about in my repro class, like uh, with testes regulation and stuff. So I've always kind of like found this fascinating that the the cold blood coming up from the feet, because they will lose a little bit of body heat through their feet. And so the blood will cool off. As it comes up the leg, there's this counter current exchange, meaning a network of capillaries that's bringing warm blood down so that cold blood gets warmed up before it gets to the core. Because even though their feetsies might be a little chilly, like all of us, like our feetsies, even my feetsies are a little chilly right now, you know, <laughs> even though it's nice and warm out today, it, it's, you know, your core body temperature doesn't cool off. So they they have these mechanisms to prevent heat loss. Like they, they're, those capillaries in their feet vasodilate. So there's less blood flow, but enough to keep the tissues above the freezing point so their feet won't freeze. It's an amazing adaptation. I was like, whoa, that was so cool to see how they do this versus, say, a fennec fox, which is driving blood to its ears to cool off because the cold air, there won't be this counter current exchange. The hot blood will go to the ears. This is African elephants too. Think about their large ears. That's that's probably the easiest species to talk about. They'll drive blood to their ears. They'll fan themselves, not only to cool off their body, but it cools off that blood in their ears that brings it back into their body to help cool them off. So the Arctic fox is 
preventing that from happening. So really cool adaptation. Like I just was amazed. So incredible. Yeah. They're the pads of their feet don't freeze. And yes, Chris, when I was living in Chicago, I had a lot of friends that had mixed breeds or breeds of dogs that had short hair and were pretty sensitive to the cold, cold winter of Chicago. So they would have them wear like little jackets, but they also put boots on their feet. Oh, yeah, yeah. To because the dog's paws get really cold and they don't like it. When I lived in Chicago, I spent a lot of extra time outside in along Lake Michigan frolicking in the snow because that's when I had my beloved Sinatra that was a husky that I rescued. And he mm-hmm. was more on the Arctic side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. You, so you talked about that last week. He just week, loved yeah. the snow and the finding little treasures of old food buried in the <laughs> snow on the park and just things like that. But yeah, a lot of my friends had the, you know, their dogs had to wear those little silly dog boots and they, they're super cute. I mean, uh, and but yeah, the Arctic fox does not have to do that. Their their feet don't freeze. Their foot and foot pad will not drop below a f- the freezing point, which is crazy because it is really cold there in the wintertime, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking really negative 50 yeah. degrees Fahrenheit. So, and I don't know if that's with the wind chill or without, but regardless, I don't even want to know what that's like, right? Yeah, no. Yeah. And I was impressed about how they use their tail to stay warm. And so we look at their tail. It's fluffy and white in the wintertime and just beautiful. And you think, oh, that's really cool. Uh, but this tail is long. It's about thir- for, for the smaller size of the Arctic fox, it, it's about 13 inches or a foot long. And it does help them with balance when they're jumping around and trying to catch these lemmings and things. But they also use it as a blanket. And so to prevent heat loss, what the Arctic fox will do in its den, it is it'll t- curl up really tight and tuck its legs and its head under its body behind its furry tail. And it basically gives the Arctic fox a really small body position, right, to like lose less heat. And the tail on top of everything, especially its ears and nose and things like that and paws, acts as an insulator or a brush uh, that help them keep warm. So it's not just for show, even though they definitely have a show pony tail and could win win awards just based on its beauty. It's evolved for that function. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I saw that, that, that fluffy tail. I just imagine, you know, how it keeps them nice and warm, that little nose warm, like you were talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then of course, like many Arctic species that we've talked about as although they don't hibernate at all, they're active year round. They do put on a lot of fat in the wintertime and they'll reduce their locomotor activity and their fat reserves as they're building them in the summer and autumn can sometimes increase their body weight by more than 50%. Wow. And this amount of fat also helps too. If there is a food shortage, that way they can live off the energy on some of their fat. And I must admit, when I was watching YouTube videos, a lot of these Arctic foxes that I saw were pretty chunky. And I think that's just a lot of their natural genetics as far as how – and they're fluffy too. So sometimes it's hard to to tell tell between like fluff and fat. But when I would see that, you know, the waddle on the belly area going back and forth a little bit, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fat. Uh, But once again, that's okay because that will help them survive. Uh, the cold weather and over those winter months where prey is uh, less dense. And then also like similar to polar bears, Angie, their their hair points are hollow. So it helps trap warm air from the body heat and again, acts as insulation. So just so many adaptations that's that they've, they've made to survive up there. It's just 
crazy. It's just crazy. It's crazy how evolution. It's works. really fun. Yeah, it's that's why I dork out on this natural history stuff because it's just you know I used to never get it in biology class. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. There was this thing called a mammoth, which was really cool, and then there was this you know thing called T Rex. I used to walk around like, wow, that's awesome. But you know, once you start doing all these species and you start seeing the adaptations for their specific biome, you know, it's crazy, right? And just like you said earlier in the podcast, like going from the fennec fox, this desert-dwelling animal, to the arctic fox, they're not that far from each other on the phylogenetic tree. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible. And then I just think of us humans, and I don't want to speak for any other human out there besides myself and my husband. I can talk (laughs) for him. But we're kind of like wimps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, we like our cushy, cozy life, and it's like, oh, it's a little chilly in here, you know, like put extra clothes on or, oh, it's so hot. I have to go swimming. And I always think about how people survived, you know, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, especially in the cold weather. That must have been really, really hard. And <laughs> thick blood. we thick did blood. not evolve all these great ways no. to to stay warm, right? No, I was a, I was a wimp. That's, we, had to use, we had to use our mind, I guess. Uh, but we obviously developed other survival yeah. tactics, like, I don't know, getting out of the cold. Yeah, big brain, <laughs> fire. The, yeah, the ability caves, to yeah. move to Florida. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, but, it, but it really, I just, I, when I really think about that, it's just so incredible and, and, and beautiful. That's why it's like the Native Americans. I was always like, you know, the Seminole Indians, they had it great. Down in Florida on the beach, you know, mussels and clams or whatever, all the shellfish and fishing. And and then I think of the Native Americans up in Canada or whatever. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what were you thinking? You know, just, I know. <laughs> or, or me being a mother, having to take care of kids in cold weather. Yeah, oh, I know, I know, I know. Just yeah. tough, yeah. tough, tough, tough. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get to repro. But uh, before we do. So nutrition, uh, the opportunistic eater, we've already talked about them eating some carrion from polar bears. Lemmings is the mm-hmm. big thing. That's the big one. Uh, you know, they can, uh, I read they can eat several dozen lemmings a day. They'll eat birds, insects, eggs, even berries, you know, if they can find it. And then again, in winter, yes, they can find, you know, lemmings and things buried, but really they, they just, that's why they follow the polar bears or even wolves and, and eat some of the leftovers and, and, and kind of scrapes from there. Then I read that, you know, like dogs burying bones, they will bury food and let it freeze and then come back and find it later when they need it. So yes, Arctic foxes are notorious cachers or C-A-C-H-E. There's a fun Scrabble word. And what that means is they hoard or hide and store food. That's two for you. Last week it was Quivet, and now this week is Cashers for Scrabble. Yeah, I think Cash. I don't know if there's an ER on the yeah, end, on cashers, the end of the world. It's yeah. typically, like, uh, I think the correct way to use it is that the Arctic fox will cash its food. Yeah. But yes, a study uh, out of Canada showed the Arctic foxes will acquire goose eggs, and they store about 80 to 97% of them. And studies of their fecal scat that was collected shows evidence that they eat those eggs during this winter of caching. In fact, one isotope analysis showed that an egg can still be eaten after a year of being stored. Wow. Because it's like it's in a refrigerator, right? Yeah, but- true. Very true. Probably a little <laughs> nasty, but one. Yeah, yeah, they don't care. They eat carrion and stuff, yeah. Right, desperate time, desperate measures, <laughs> but yes. and So a really, really cool behavior regarding nutrition that they've evolved to deal with this harsh climate. And... 
I, it's also a behavior I need to, that I respect and need to learn to do more of, of like storing food because uh, after our Thanksgiving holiday here a few weeks ago, I mean, we blew through that pumpkin pie and the mm-hmm. apple crisp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I did no, I, I was not able to cash any of it. <laughs> I put it in my mouth yeah, the next day yeah, yeah, yeah. and the day after that, and then it was gone. Yeah. And now weeks later, I am wishing that I had a little bit, a little bit of savviness <laughs> of an Arctic Fox and was able to put it away a little bit longer. So yeah, I, yeah. but that, but that takes a lot of foresight, mm-hmm. right? When we're talking about kind of survival and intelligence, uh, it, it it's really an, an awesome skill that they have. No. Yeah. I thought it was a great behavior too. Like just amazing. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, And was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MKUltra? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. And before we get to behavior, real quick, uh, they are preyed upon. So here's a list of some species we may cover in the future. I see one, definitely. So golden eagles, bald eagles, polar bears, brown bears, red foxes, because they're bigger, and wolves, and then wolverines. The Michigan wolverines. I know you're Michigan State, but still, we, we got to do wolverine here at some point. Well, and I would like to do wolverines. Uh, they are my arch nemesis. I went to Michigan State. I'm a Spartan. <laughs> go green, go white. Uh, but... University of Michigan, the Wolverines, they have a great program. They actually have a wonderful zoology mm-hmm, program mm-hmm. Uh, as well. So I love on them. And the Wolverine has a really interesting conservation story, mm-hmm. and it definitely needs our help. There are some areas, like actually out in the Pacific West, mm-hmm. where there's some hints of recovery. But overall, it's been wiped out from Michigan. So oh, wow. it's, oh, yeah, it's the, great that it's their mascot and stuff. But Yeah, it's like, what are you guys yeah. doing? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Chris, let's put wolverines on there. I'd actually like to do lemmings after this past week of reading a lot about Arctic foxes. Their prey, the lemmings, I think are a really interesting Arctic creature as well. Yeah, yeah. We did just get an email, I forget to mention this earlier, from Carissa, and she wants us to do gars. So if we're looking for uh, aquatic species, that would be a really cool species to do too. It's so many. Well, thank you. And yes, yeah. you know, and keep sending keep sending those recommendations. Mm-hmm. We love interacting with you on Facebook or email or our All Creatures podcast Facebook group yeah. too. We have a lot of uh, fun stories that we share back and forth. Yep, yep. So you know, jump into behavior. We've covered some of it, the denning and and things. I, I, I'm interested because at the beginning I said you'll be surprised how far they range. So we talk about that, their nomadic lifestyle. But what are some of the other behaviors that we haven't touched upon yet? Well, Chris, as we jump into behavior, I first want to talk about some of the terminology for foxes because it's really fun and this is a fun holiday show. So male foxes are known as dogs, tods, or reynards. The group of Arctic foxes is known as a leash or a skulk. Oh, wow. Do you know what female foxes are called? Oh, vixen? I mean, it was... 
Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, Vixen. Yes. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, love yeah, Vixen. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, a great name and it, it really helps describe a female fox mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm. But Arctic foxes are known to live these nomadic lives. So they travel around looking for food. They, they don't hibernate. So they're up and active all winter long, bless their hearts. And they also live these somewhat semi-communal lives, forming small groups or skulks or leashes mm-hmm. or bands to scavenge for food along the countryside. And in the spring and summer, when they typically get together for breeding and things like that, they will often reside in family groups consisting of a male, two females, and their pups. And pups can also be known as kits or cubs, depending on what region you're from. And when they're spending this family time together, they'll hang out in the den as well. So they'll share this communal area to seek shelter and cash food and do things like that. And similar to your friendly Fido at home, they make several vocalizations. Arctic foxes can yelp and bark, if you will, uh, yowl, uh, which is almost like a howl. They'll yelp, they'll whine, depending on what state of emotion they are or how they want to communicate with other Arctic foxes. And their behaviors to me are so comfortable watching them uh, on YouTube and reading about them because it is, it's kind of like looking at your dog as far as a lot of their visual, facial, body expressions, um, whether they're happy or fearful. Uh, You can kind of usually tell on their face and whether they're uh, cowering away from Mm -hmm. something or, you know, more interested and curious. And foxes are definitely known to be curious. And and just like any of your pets at home or different, the various species that I worked with when I was a zookeeper, Arctic foxes are known to have several different personality types. And Chris, I found this really cool study. It's in a journal called Behavioral Ecology and Social Biology, and it's from 2019. And what researchers did there is they wanted to look at personality of Arctic foxes in the wild and compare it to juvenile mortality and stress behaviors. Okay. And I was really drawn to this article because I like to do a lot of research about horses and their personalities and how that can influence things. And the background that you need to know is personality, whether it's human or animal or pet or whatever it is, it's a phenotypic variation, which can be defined as someone, an individual, whether it's animals, person, behavioral trait that's consistent over time and context. And life history theory predicts that Individuals, depending on their personalities, will do different risk-taking type behaviors, and uh, and that can impact your fitness. And mm-hmm. this is very, very true in humans. It's yeah, very, yeah, very, yeah. it's incredibly well studied in humans. And it's a different pod for a different yeah, yeah, day. Yeah. As far as certain be- certain people will take more risky behaviors, whether it's riding a roller coaster or trying drugs or things like that. Well, so it's like why men but live in- shorter lives than women. Like you ever see those memes? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> In general, That's yes, not the funniest yes, one exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's 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 honestly not different, no different in animals. It's just less studied because, well, lack of funding, and then of course, when I read over the methodology of this paper and what they had to do to study these Arctic foxes oh, God, in the wild, yeah. their personalities for years yeah, yeah, in the cold. Yeah. Uh, with well, they did they did live observations, but they also did camera traps in their dens and all. Just I mean, it is a lot. But what they learned is really, really important. 
because once again, this Arctic fox is such a flagship species for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for global climate change. And the researchers set out to learn about this, not necessarily because the Arctic fox is endangered, but because it can teach us more about endangered species and how they are going to adapt or not adapt to climate change. And the results showed that offspring of adults that are bolder and make bolder, take more risky behavior, that off, those offspring would exhibit more investigative and curious behaviors. And they were not as shy <laughs> as offspring that came from passive, anxious, more shy adults. So you kind of, you are kind of what your parents are, what you see your parents doing. If they're taking bold, riskier behaviors, you'll do that. And interestingly, highly investigative or bolder kids had significantly lower mortality rates. So the paper demonstrated that parents and offsprings can have similar personality traits, traits probably because they learn some of the behaviors, and that if they are more bold and do take some risk, a little bit more willing to take more risks, they have a lower mortality rate. And so whereas the shy ones don't take risks and might succumb quicker. Right, right. And so results like this can then be extrapolated to help researchers understand different fitness levels or how healthy or how Arctic species can survive based on their personality traits. If they are an endangered population in a a climate, a global climate that's changing, Mm -hmm. right? So if you do breed an endangered animal and you are going to release it to the wild, you probably want to release maybe bolder animals that are more willing to take not too many risks and be crazy, but take some risks than the shyer ones. And so, and it was nice to see Arctic foxes help helping be this flagship species to represent so many of so many other species that are are endangered or going to be impacted by global climate change. I mean, that's, that's exactly why we, we, you know, have to cover <laughs> these species and talk about as, you know, the importance of what's going on around the planet and how that's going to affect them in the long term. you know, because it's what we're seeing today is going to be so different in 20 years. It's going to be so different. You know, there's going to be a lot less ice up there. The wor- the earth is warming. So we can't reverse those trends. It's trying to stop the trends that are going to happen in 50 years that are going to be catastrophic, you know, so there's already going to be fallout from this. So again, that's why we do this. That's why we keep fighting. But let's jump to repro because like we talked about earlier, most of them don't survive the first year. So, you know, how are they surviving? What's their repro strategy? Well, one strategy that they use that us humans typically use too is that they're monogamous and they mate for life. Of course, us humans try to do that, right? In general, Mm -hmm. it doesn't always pan out that way, but that's usually the goal when you get married. Uh, However... There are a few regional areas where Arctic foxes are more likely to be somewhat promiscuous and they have a little bit more complex social structures and researchers don't know if that has to do with adaptations from global climate change or depending like food scarcity from where they live. So they're very plastic species, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is awesome which is why they've done so well so far because they can they can make some of these subtle shifts but in general they're monogamous and mating's going to occur in the springtime from April to July 
And when male and female do get together, it's a pretty short gestation period. So the female vixen is going to be pregnant for about 49 to 57 days on average. So she can have her her litter and when the weather's nice yeah. and the food sources are abundant. Tight window. <laughs> uh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so the number of kits or pups the female is going to have is directly dependent upon her her nutrition that previous winter and spring. So was she able to consume a lot of lemmings or not? How far did she have to travel? All these sorts of things. And so the average litter size is between five to eight kits, but up to 25 has been recorded Whoa, in the wild. 25? That's way too many. <laughs> 25? How does she feed 25? I am a mother of two oh. and lots of pets, and that is way too many, uh, but that's pretty rare. So uh, She was busy. And then when... when <laughs> And then when food is really scarce, she'll skip that reproductive season. Mm. And Chris, what's also really fascinating, which just shows about how flexible uh, the Arctic fox is, is when food sources are abundant, it's just like a really good season, she will actually produce a second litter in that same year, like later on in the summer. It's nuts. Which brings me to talk about the male. Mm -hmm. He is a good dad. Yay! <laughs> He sticks around yep. and he helps with the kids. He helps feed them and watch over them, protect them from predators and things like that. But he's somewhat self-serving mm -hmm. because if it's a good season and food is abundant, he's sticking around with mom those first couple weeks to a month. But he's also breeding her again about two to four weeks after the first litter is born. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, so he wants to keep spreading his, yeah, babies, yeah, yeah. He's keep spreading his, his genes and things like that. Uh, but also depending on the size of the family group, other family members can sometimes also assist in raising their young, helping keep an eye on the little ones and things like that. So yeah, cool, very, yeah. very. Yeah. So yes, overall their family group and family dynamics rate pretty high. I think we've got a good mom, a pretty good dad, slightly self-serving, but that's okay. <laughs> Whatever gets dad to stick around hey, hey, and help, hey, hey, right? Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make those 25 and kids. And that, yeah, that female vix, that, that vixen, she's smart. She's like, you know what? I'm going to let him hang out in the den. He's feeding my yeah. my my twenty five cubs, yeah, 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 yeah. these are pups or whatever yeah. they're called. He's helping feed them all and watch them all. Eh, if I have to have another litter, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, pretty cute. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we talked about least concern. I mean, several hundred thousand is the estimate population around the earth. And again, we talked about, you know, the loss of sea ice, things like that. Well, we'll have an impact on them. And we're just going to see what that is. Now, you did have a, an organization this week? Yes, Chris. I couldn't find a group that specifically studies and researches and saves Arctic foxes in general. If there's one out there that I'm not familiar with for all of our fans in Iceland, please let me know, or over in Norway and Sweden. I would love to add them. So I went back to the drawing board a little bit about what species of fox are critically endangered and do need our help, and that's going to be the island fox, and that's very familiar in your old stomping grounds of California. They are found off the California Chan Channel Islands, and they are just really in need of our help due to invasive species on the islands, feral pigs, golden eagles, things like that. And so the Nature Conservancy 
It's a fantastic group. I know I've probably covered them on the podcast before. I will cover them again. In fact, I really want to get an interview with them. So if anybody knows anybody at the Nature Conservancy, send them our way, introduce us. Uh, I would love to talk with them because they they are just world renowned and have done so much to save nature and the species that inhabit them. And the Island Fox in partnership with California Conservation Science Group uh, is one of the species that they dedicate their time and apply their science to, to make sure that the Island Foxes can continue to roam on the Channel Islands. And they do all sorts of research behavior observations and uh, veterinarian care. They do a lot of vaccinating dogs and other feral wildlife on the island to help prevent to help prevent zoonotic diseases heading towards the island fox. So check out the Nature Conservancy. They they are wonderful. We'll put we'll put their information up on the our show notes. But uh, yay for them doing fox conservation research. No, absolutely and. You know, I love these organizations. They're just uh, doing doing uh, so much incredible work out there. Now, conservation t- tip this week: we go out in nature. That, that was kind of the gist of it today. But just really quickly, you know, last week we t- we talked about the musk ox uh, quivet. So the wool it seems to be eco friendly in the sense that these are are kept captive, not domesticated, but captive musk ox that are actually combed out, so you can you know feel good buying that always always we say don't buy real fur fox fur arctic foxes are held on fur farms across europe i'm sorry you know it's just something angie and i feel strongly about we don't buy you know we we wouldn't support real fur farms like mink and foxes it's just it's so out of fashion and we've talked about that in length but i did really quickly want to highlight some eco-friendly animal-based fibers that you can feel good about buying, you know, not just your typical cotton shirts and stuff like that, but some things that if it comes from animals. So alpaca, which is great. Yay. Yeah. You can shave. Yeah. Shave Zachary's alpaca. like so into llamas and alpacas <laughs> right now. It's the cutest. Yeah. So that's eco-friendly. You know, they get shaved like wool. Uh, well, wool's one with sheep. Silk, you know, the silkworms, busy. Cashmere is also eco-friendly you know it's it's a friendly for from goats from goats yes yeah from the cashmere mm-hmm. goats and a couple others so those are some eco-friendly animal-based furs and then again we talked about like fake fur faw fur a lot of that comes from cats and dogs you know like the raccoon dogs we covered uh, way back when we have to get back to japan i was thinking about them the other day and you know they are actually farmed uh, and raised and and you know killed for their pelts to make this quote unquote faw fur so be careful of that. Fur's just out of fashion and, you know, but there are some animal-based fibers that you can feel good about wearing. Excellent. You didn't say, I don't think you said, how far. I didn't. I was saving oh, it for okay. you. Okay. You didn't say how far that, that Arctic fox went. And I came across the study. It was a tracking study. And the stunned scientists, because this fox was collared, but in 76 days... It went 2,176 miles from Norway to Canada. They called it that's bonkers. An epic journey, average, yeah, you know, 28, 29 miles a day, or up to 46 kilometers. Sometimes in a day, it went 155 kilometers. Like 
stunned scientists how far the, these nomadic Arctic foxes can be. Crazy, crazy, crazy. It's incredible. Yeah, they're they're the ultimate survivor in the harshest terrain, and they sure are cute to look at. So please share this podcast about Arctic foxes with some friends and family this holiday season. And we want to thank you, as always, for being conservation heroes and listening, learning, loving, and conserving all creatures. Furry, fuzzy, scaly, big, small. We love them all, right? Yep, yep, yep. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another fun species. Bye-bye. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.